So we're in Esther chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 4, and we're really going to start on verse 7, um, and, and we're at the place where Esther uh, is, is queen. Mordecai has done the right thing, you remember last week, and it did not lead to comfort. Uh, it led to a bit of a mess. King Xerxes and his right-hand man, Haman, uh, Haman kind of planned. He got this scheme. He got upset because Mordecai wouldn't bow down and worship him. And so he puts a decree out, and he gets the king's permission and, and approval and agreement um, to, to, to kill all the Jews that are living in the Persian Empire at this time. Persian Empire at the time ranges from uh, the, the central Africa to India. This is a large part of the known world at the time, and King Xerxes is king, uh, and, and Mordecai and Esther are, Mordecai's working on the king's court. Esther has now, as a Jew, unbeknownst to the king and his people, become queen of the Persian Empire. Man, crazy story. The plot thickened last week. This is not a story. It's not a parable. This is history. This is real. It really did happen. Um, and you can check, check historical context outside of the Bible, but this is a, this is a real part of history that happened that we can see God absolutely at work. Today's sermon titles Earthen Vessels, and we won't talk about that till the end. But have y'all ever done something hard? I got some buddies. I've been on, uh, the, I get on this, this call, video call, usually with uh, some buddies that pastor churches across the state once every two weeks. And we had a speaker that came on this time, a guy named Corey. He's a police officer in Lexington, a uh, faithful believer and, 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 and deep into ministry and serving outside the walls. And, and he came to share a story of something. He was working on something he's felt called to that I absolutely do not feel called to. And it's called an Iron Man competition. Y'all heard of that? Y'all heard of an Ironman competition? It's like a triathlon on steroids. It's like the craziest thing. Like, why would you ever want to go do this? And, uh, and, and so he's been training and preparing. He's going to Chattanooga to run this, this, this massive race. Um, and, and he's doing it to raise money from, for, for a kid named Malachi that was in Lexington and was, was, a, was a victim of a, 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 uh, you know, a gun violence. He got basically a drive-by shooting into his home that hit him in the temple and caused him to go blind. They were shooting at the wrong house, wrong family, like four days before Christmas. And, um, and so there's been a lot of support rallied around them. Um, but this officer, who wasn't at that scene, but he knew the guys that were there, he's a lieutenant in the, the drug task force there, um, just felt called by God to go do this race, do an Ironman. Man, if he puts that call in my life, I've said yes to some things. I don't know about that one. Um, so, uh, you know, an Ironman competition, it's 144 miles. You're going to swim 2.4 miles. Not done that my entire life in all the pools and beaches and ocean I've been in. If you put it all together, it's like Jared swam 24 feet. You know, <laughs> like, I can't imagine 2.4 miles swimming, and he gets out, and he's going to bike 116 miles. And, you know, once you're done with that, just run a marathon. Gets out and runs 26 miles. Can you imagine? I, like, I can't. I can't even imagine. And, um, and I was hearing him, hear, hearing him talk about the discipline it was taking, the courage it was taking. He was putting himself out there. And, and I remember this chapter in a book I read years ago called The Little Red Book of Wisdom, and there's a chapter in it. 
and says, tackle something so difficult you'll never want to do it again. And uh, some of you are in that place facing something so difficult. That is such a challenge that, it, that, is, that is so up against you that, that our, our, our human reaction and gut reaction to that is usually to just uh, to, to ignore it. To pretend like it's not there. Or maybe, maybe it's something uh, that, that you dread that's right in front of you. Like, oh man, I dread that conversation with that person. I dread this, this environment I'm going to be in. Or maybe you're going to be, you're, you've called, been called to lead and you're stepping into maybe a hostile environment. Maybe not everybody's excited that, that you're leading or you're in the role that you're in at work. All, all these things, you're, you're getting ready to step into something that is difficult, that is so hard, and, and there's, there's value simply of doing it so you can, man, no, oh, I made it through that, right? You, you've done, you completed that, it was hard. But what we find that Esther's in this place. Esther gets positioned into this place. And here's what I've learned from this story uh, of Esther and this chapter specifically is that kingdom impact, and I'm going to pass these verses up because I want you to just see this first. Kingdom impact requires courage. Absolutely does require it. I mean, from the first time you stepped out and told your friends, I'm following Jesus, required some level of courage. The, the following Jesus is not for the weak at heart. He calls us to be fierce followers. We just did a whole series called We Are At War. It takes courage to step up to the battle line. And, and, and so impact requires courage in your life. But you see, as humans, we like to sit on the couch. <laughs> we like it to be comfortable in the recliner, it up and nice and no conflict and no difficulty. And, you know, I just, and, and I talked to one pastor one time. He's like, you know, when I retire, I just want to go to the beach and pastor a church with people that just come, new people every Sunday. That way you don't have to manage all the stuff in between, right? Like you don't have to deal with all the brokenness. It's like you, we just, you, your tendency is just, I don't want the difficult stuff. But you heard this saying, no pain, no gain. Like, you, you'll see, find this in your life. If you don't step into things that are uncomfortable and require courage, you're not going to grow, and you're not going to step into the potential impact God could use you for. Okay? So I want you to think, before we even get into this, and we're going to look at Esther, we're going to look at a challenge that's put to her. We're going to look at the things she considered in the middle of that challenge, and then we're going to look at her courage. But when we think about the thing in your life right now that you would rather run from, the thing that's pushing against all your insecurity that's making you think, man, I'm not good enough for this, or somebody's going to think I'm weak, or some, I, I might fail a potential. What if I fail? God, that'd be awful. Maybe it's stepping out of denial about something in your life that you just, you, you're pretending like it's not there and everything's okay, but it's going to take some courage to say, hey, this is where I'm at. This is who I am, and you need to be vulnerable with somebody. Maybe it's making new friends. Maybe you're in a new place and you just don't like talking to new people. And maybe God's just saying, step out of that, challenge yourself. Because those other people are saying, I wish I had friends. It's going to take 
some courage. I want you to look first. Let's look at this passage in chapter 4. And we're going to find out what it takes. What, what, is, what happens in, in Esther's life right here in chapter 4. To get here to verse 7, you just need to know that Mordecai has found out that you know, King Xerxes put this decree out because of what he's done. He's refused to worship him and bow down to him. Now he's going to kill all the Jews, and the decree went out to all the Persian Empire. And, and Mordecai is the crazy man in the street right now, okay? He's in sackcloth and ashes in the middle of the street. He's just weeping. He's distraught. He's spending every day like he can't focus. He's just so upset, and he's sad, and it starts to spread across the Jews, across the entire empire, and they're starting to put on sackcloth and ashes, and they're just in deep mourning. He's in deep crisis. And so this is the place that he's in, and, and, and somebody comes and tells Esther, he's like, hey, Esther, like your, your dad, Mordecai, has lost it. That's basically what they say. He's out in the street, and he's got sackcloth and ashes on. What is he mourning about? And Esther's like, why would he be mourning? What he's sad about? Because she's in the palace, in the spa, 12 months of Alta. Remember? Remember, like she's getting all this beauty treatment. She's not out in the real world and meeting real people and seeing what's happening. She's, she's up here in the throne room, in the, in the palace. And so they come and say, Mordecai's just out in the street, like sackcloth and ashes mourning. And she says, send somebody to go to him and say, what's wrong with you, Mordecai? So here we come to Esther 4-7. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathach to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. And here comes the challenge from Mordecai to Esther. He also asked Hathach to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. See, they didn't have iMessages or DMs back then. So, she send, so Mordecai sends Hathach back to Esther, and he tells her what she said, what he said. And then he, she says, all right, I want you to go back to, to Mordecai and tell him this, all right? We'd have done this in 30 seconds, okay? <laughs> this is Esther's message back to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai says, Esther, you're our only hope. We need you to go to the king and beg for mercy. Esther says, probably not going to go, because the law is if I just show up and he's not inviting me, I'm going to die. So, nah. Okay, and that's it. Like, that's, that's our human response. God calls you into a place and to do something that's difficult. And it's probably not, you're probably not going to die if you help volunteer on Wednesday nights at youth. Right? But God might be calling you into that. And you might be like, nah, I don't know. Like that, I have to get up my Wednesday night, I have to do whatever. So we find our own excuses. But Esther's like, no, like I know the law. If I show up and he's not inviting me, like everybody just dies usually right there, right then. And I know he loves me, I'm the queen, but I still could die. Let love her too much. It's been 30 days since he said they had breakfast together or anything. You know what I mean? 
So that's, that's the challenge. And, 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 and Mordecai saying, go, I don't want you to miss this picture of Jesus and us here, okay? It's not, the, it's not the, the, the heart of the message God's put on me today, but I don't want you to miss it. Mordecai and the Jews were in a hopeless, distraught situation. They knew only one person could go before the king. You following me? See, as, as mankind, we were in a hopeless, desperate situation, separated from the king, separated from God the Father, because he is all righteousness, and our heart is full of sin, and those two things can't be united together. And so there was only one person who could come and go before him, who could, who could come and fulfill all of the righteousness that, 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 that we couldn't live into, and then God could, could pour out because he's a, he's, a, he's a righteous God, and he's a just God, so his wrath had to be poured out for our sin, and it got poured out upon Jesus. And the anger and upsetness that he had at our sin was poured out on his own son so that we would be seen as righteous. And we had only one person that could go before God the Father, and his name was Jesus. Romans 8.34 says, Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. If you think about Jesus doing that right now, it's like, I know, Father, but Jared, he's mine. I know what he did yesterday. I know what he thought about this or that. And I know where he was. And I know how sometimes he gets selfish and maybe, uh, you know, all these things. And, uh, but he's mine. He's in me. He's in, I've got him. It's okay. He's mine. You've got that if you're in Jesus, okay? You've got that if you are in Jesus. Back to Esther. I want you to just remember in this challenge, and I, I said it a few sermons ago, we're going to get to this line that says, for such a time as this, that we all wake up each and every single day into a, such a time as this moment. See, just like your fingerprint, you look at your neighbor and you compare fingerprints, it's not the same. You don't have to do it. You know it's not. I know it's not, but it's not the same. And so just like your fingerprint, your life, your story, your, the way you were raised, the, your trauma, the brokenness, any kind of abuse, all the bad and all the good that's mixed up to make Jared is not like you. And your story is not like me. And, and so God takes all this brokenness and calls them into his family and builds something called the body of Christ, called the church. And he uses everything that has a unique gifting and a unique story to absolutely impact things in a way that another part of the body cannot. That means for, every, for the church to work the way it's supposed to, every part of the body's got to be active and taking on whatever role that it's been called into. And so I want to I tell you this. You are the only one with the unique positioning that you have right now in life. And some of you are saying, I don't know about that. Like somebody else could do this or be that. Some of you, you are the only one who can disciple and spiritually lead your children. I can tell you that for sure in the way that you have exposure to them. They live in your house. 
Some of you have, 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 have friends and neighbors and coworkers that you can reach in a different way than anyone else. I want you to see, though, that, Esther's, that, that Mordecai's confidence, though, is not in Esther. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther, Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Okay, we, uh, this book is written after Esther. We want to get all excited about Esther. This book is not about Esther. Okay? This book is about God. A God that is present even when his name is not mentioned. That even when Mordecai could say, hey, Esther, you got a chance here. You, whatever your name is, you, Chris, Jared, James, you got a chance, Glenna, to step into God's kingdom work right where you are in the position and the place you're in. You got a chance to join him at work for such a time as this. Sunday, August 6th, 2000, whatever year it is, 23. Some of you have stepped into a new university, you've moved to a new town, you're in a new place, and we've got a lot of people that are from here, a lot of people not from here. I love the body and the family that's being formed here at New Beginning. It's beautiful, it's diverse, it's different. That's what the body of Christ is. And he says, listen, Esther, you've got a chance. I mean, God's going to take care of us. I'm not really worried about that, but I just don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to miss out on this chance. And he says, who knows if perhaps... You were made queen for such a time as this. That's the question. I can imagine Esther maybe hearing that and thinking back, oh, my family, my parents died. That was a mess. That hurt. Didn't understand how that could be a good thing. And then I was raised by Mordecai, my older cousin. I was basically an orphan and adopted. She's thinking back through her story, and I live in this pagan, foreign Persian empire. I'm not even in my hometown or my home country with my home people. I'm married to this pagan leader. I'm the queen of this empire. Like this is this, and she's looking back over all these things that don't make sense. And that, this is what a, such a time as this moment looks like. It's a moment when you look back and you see things that didn't make sense, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I see. I see, I, I'm in this, and I had that happen to me, and I dealt with that trauma and this or that because of this moment and this time and this place for this person. I think God moves and works through people and circumstances like that to reach every one of us in real and relevant ways. That's our vision here. That's our heart, to make Jesus real and relevant. I want to move on through this. So the challenge, this is Esther's challenge, go talk to the king. Go before him, risk your life for the sake of the people. She considers, so we look at what does she consider in the middle of this challenge. She says, what's the cost? What's the cost if I do? And so the cost if I do go before him is, you know, I could die. That's pretty simple math. <laughs> Algebra, I guess, it uses letters. <laughs> Come on, you still here? Okay. I could die. What's the cost if I don't? All the Jews could die. 
And she begins to set priorities. She considers, okay, what's my priority? Am I number one? Because that's what the world will tell you. Watch out for number one. Right? That's, that's what the world wants to tell you. It says, uh, watch out for, 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 for yourself. For number one, what's most important. And she got set priorities. Like, am I, should I go and face this for, for myself or for others? And why am I going? And so she considers bo- both the, the, uh, 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 the cost and her priorities. And then she spends some time considering her approach. Like, how am I going to do this? If I do this, how am I going to do it? I'm not just going to show up and be like, hey, I'm here, king. The first thing she does, she rounds up her people, her tribe. you got a tribe. Maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's just your, your spouse. Maybe it's a, another circle of friends. But, but she, she sends this reply to Mordecai. She says, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. She didn't say God, but this is where they begin to fast and pray. In the midst of the challenge, in the midst of the difficult thing, up against the iron man of your life, Spend some time fasting and praying. Praying is important. Fasting is next level. Fasting is saying, your will and what you are is more important than my next meal. And that is hard for some of us to do. But she began to fast and pray. She asked them to fast and pray. She said, do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, my maids, and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king the line of this passage of scripture that carries the weight, that shows that the impact requires courage, is she says, if I must die, I must die. So we've seen her challenge, the things she considered, and here we see her courage. Courage is usually a decision, but it goes farther than that, right? Because you could, uh, uh, if you've, anybody done a New Year's resolution? Decided to join the gym, get healthy. I'm going to lose a bunch of weight, going to gain some pounds in muscle. You made the decision, but the stepping into it and the action is hard to follow up on, right? So here we see this decision where she sees that Mordecai's words to her have, have spoke to her, and she's like, all right. I'll go. If I must die, I must die. I mean, that's a different place from the last response she had. It was like, nah, no, I might die. And now she says, if I must die, I must die. Are you that passionate about the cross, about the gospel? They say, if I get called, if I must die, I must die. That's what she had to say, as you think about the such a time as this moment in your own life, whether it's stepping out of denial, whether it's finishing something you've started, or holding a friend or a team member, family accountable, having a difficult conversation, sharing the gospel with a neighbor, whatever those things are. I want you to reflect, and when you think about it, I want you to see God's sovereignty in your life and how God's brought you and prepared you for that moment. I also want you to make sure, is this others motivated? Am I, am I just stepping into a courageous, uh, uh, taking a step of courage that's focused on me? Am I doing it out of selfish ambition? Because you can do that. 
Or am I doing this out of a heart for the gospel and for, for his kingdom and for maybe others who can't step up and speak for themselves? So many stories here to remind us of, of how God works. I want to read you chapter 5, just a few verses. Because Esther didn't just make a decision. It says, she put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court. Can you be there for a moment? Esther stepping up to the door. You ever been nervous about doing something? Get nervous if you're going to speak or do something in front of somebody. You've got to lead a meeting or do something. And are you going to sing? Are you going to be uh, you do something? Are you going to start a ball game and like, and, and you're nervous? And and she uh, she had to be standing at that door. I don't know if she was nervous or not. I think there was some kind of favor upon her, some kind of calm confidence that she swung that door open and stepped onto the court of the king's palace for such a time as this. I don't know what your door is that God's asking you to walk through, but we've all got one. I think of the stories where I've seen God work in such a time as this kind of ways. Glenn is one of them. You heard her story. I mean, she's saying she don't know why she's in Kentucky. I'm like, I could tell you. You know, just kind of see it over here. You need some friends like that in your life, right? When you say, I can't figure out what God's doing. It's like, let me tell you, I can see it. Let me share it with you. I'm, it's pretty clear uh, to me. I think about the, the family we got to help several weeks ago with the mission team that came up, and, and, and they stepped in, and, to, and a courageous came down here, slept in a church, didn't know where they were coming, who they were going to be with, where they were going to be serving. They got to help a family finish a house. I think about our, our own situation. Bethany and I, um, let me, uh, I'm going to come back to that, to this. I think about Bethany and I who have felt for years, uh, been thinking and looking for a place to move downtown into the heart of downtown. I don't know why. I never thought we would ever do that. Never thought of ourselves as city people. I was raised in the head of a holler. Do you know what a holler is? I was in the head of it. Last house, the only thing past us was a fishing pond, a farm pond. All right, this is where I was raised, and we've always had property, Bethany and I, for the most part, at least big enough to put a garden on. And um, But God said, downtown. Get there, go, and, um, and and so we found a place this winter. Made an offer, uh, closed on it in February. Moved in in April, just in time for Hillbilly Days. What a better time to to get downtown, you know. And so this is just an example of little stories, such as time as this moments. And so we move in, and there's a little boy that just keeps showing up in our backyard, and uh, he he was six when we moved in. His name was Benny. That's him sitting at our table there. And uh, made Parker, our four-year-old son, sitting there with him. They became like best friends. Uh, and he, I think he lived at our house as much as he lived at home. Just there all the time, all the time. And, um, and so th this week, uh, his mom was moving um, 
She had another baby, and they moved to Michigan. And so for four months, we've been there, roughly whatever it's been. And, uh, and we've just got to be a part of Benny's life. Never would have got to be a part of Benny's life. If we'd have waited four months later, we'd have never met him. And so when he was leaving the day he, he, they left, Bethany sent this text to me and a, and a few friends. And I just want to share her words with you about how God is working in our life. And we're seeing, looking back over time, seeing how God is working. We're like, oh, maybe, I mean, if we just moved to town to get to spend a moment with Benny, right, then it was worth it. If he can be 10 years old and be like, I remember that pastor's family that lived beside, right? Benny, our little neighbor, just got in his car with his mommy. Sweaty from playing, no shoes on, dirty feet, and their car packed, and his infant brother in the car seat wedged between stuff. The mom covered in sweat from working to load up the last bits of stuff, driving nine hours to Michigan to where they're moving. He screamed, love you, all the way down the street, hanging out the window. We watched till they were out of sight. He had breakfast with us this morning. He was good for us, and we were good for him. We learned so much from this time being their neighbor. Roger Dale, our other neighbor, right next door, he passed away week before last. He too taught us so much in our short amount of time together here on 4th Street. So much about God, so much about loving, so much about broken humanity. I'm tender-hearted about our neighbors being gone. I have some plants from Benny. He yelled, take care of my plants for me. Innocent not realizing the weight of the move and the fact that he really may not see us or Harker again. We have a bowl from Roger's house. If y'all know Roger Dale, you'll love this. One he left on our porch to give the kittens some water or food while we were away. My last memory of him is re <laughs> rescuing a cat from the boys while they played too harshly with it on the trampoline. I mean, this guy loved cats. He was an animal lover. Came over into our yard and was like, boys, you can't do that to that kitten. <laughs> in an instant, things change. God is the one and only thing in existence that does not change. We wait for our next assignment, our next learning experience here on 4th and Wolford. We've already learned so much. Go outside your space, the one you build around you, just for a few seconds today. God wants us to go. The going can be painful, uncomfortable, but so was the life of Jesus. I love all of you. We're all in this together. Pray for Benny and his mommy, Robin. I'm going to lead you into discomfort. I think Bethany said it better than I can. God wants us to go. And going requires courage. But when you read this verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, as I close, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. The title of this sermon is Earthen Vessels. Esther and Mordecai were just fragile clay jars used by God. God can use any kind of fractured, broken clay jar. The power is not in the jar. It is in what is inside of it. 
And so as you go forward, here's it. Seeing God's sovereignty in our lives should point us toward courage and humility. The two together. Not arrogance, not arrogant kind of courage, but courage that says, I'm going because God called me. I see how he's worked in my life up to this point. We sit there in that little, our little dining room that used to be a back porch on 4th Street and think, 20 years ago, we started in college a half a mile from here. And I can see how God has worked. And I never thought we'd be living here in this place, doing these things, meeting these people. But be courageous. But that also reminds me to be humble. Right? For the bears. Got some bears here. Don't ever forget this. Took a walk, 5.30 this morning with Louie on a leash. <laughs> Sat there and prayed for many of you that are here and many of you that are on the hill. I see this verse and it reminds us, I will lift mine eyes into the hills from where my help comes from. Because my help comes from the Lord. Our courage is not in ourselves. Is in the light, in the earthen vessel that we are because we've invited him in. God, we thank you for this time, for this place. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for truth. Thank you for putting us into difficult places that require courage. God, I pray you just give us that strength. Remind us that we have your resurrection power living inside of us. Remind us that when good things come and kingdom impact happens because of our courage, it's only because you called us and saved us and loved us and gifted us. All these things, even the good things that we have, we know that all good gifts come from above. God, give us courage, but give us humility. Those two things together in Jesus' name can change the world and change a family and change a heart one life at a time. God, bring together a community of believers here that have a heart to make your son Jesus real and relevant on campus and all around us. Use us. We sang it earlier, Jesus, you can have it all. And we give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.